Welcome to The Hype Within, exploring journeys of authentic leadership and growth. On the show, tech leaders will share their stories of developing their leadership skills and challenges they faced along the way. You'll learn about their approaches to self-reflection and personal growth and how they've been able to build a foundation of authenticity that has propelled them to success. I'm your host, Hannah Jakover, B2B marketing leader turned leadership and executive coach. Are you ready to get hyped up? Let's dive in. Hey leaders, we are back with another episode of The Hype Within, and I am excited to be here with another marketing leader in the tech space and hear her amazing leadership journey and story in terms of how she's navigated the marketing world and owning that executive seat through lots of acquisitions as well. So we'll have some great stories coming at you today, and they will be coming from Kim Storin, who is a CMO at Zayo. Hi, Kim. Welcome. Hey, Claudia. It's great to see you. You too. I'm hoping that we can start off by you just giving a little bit of an intro about yourself. And I always like to ask people to, in that, define their leadership style. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a three-time CMO. I also own communications. So I'm really a chief marketing and communications officer. I pretty much have focused on on turnarounds for the most part. So large-scale turnarounds. I've also focused on M&A. So I've done three large-scale turnarounds, 25 acquisitions. And I'm currently probably more than 25 at this point, to be honest. <laughs> and I'm currently the chief marketing officer at Zayo. We're about a $2.5 billion communications infrastructure business. Here, I lead all of global marketing, communications, brand, and and really, you know, we're going through a, a turnaround at Zayo as well and starting to to really have a story of growth. So that's, it's been a, a big journey. Um, I came through to marketing in an unconventional way. So I started my career in crisis communications. And then after business school, spent some time as a management consultant. That's really where I got the, the M&A bug, if you will. And then picked my major and came over to industry and have been been in marketing ever since. And so then you asked a little bit about like defining your leadership style. So I think, you know, probably unsurprising, as you just heard of the, the work that I've done and how I got to where I got to, but I really view my leadership style as transformational. And I really see myself as a transformation architect. And I, I think that that comes through in terms of how I think about building high-performing teams. And those teams are really focused on achieving a common goal. And so that makes me really focus on how do I balance the need for inspiration and strategic vision along with you know pragmatism and an executional focus and so i think you know as a transformational leader i have a little bit of a different approach to how i lead and how i manage a team fantastic wow okay over 25 acquisitions if you've never been through an acquisition that is probably a scary number to hear most people like dread acquisitions but it sounds like you thrive in that environment. When I started my career as like, you know, 21 years old, I moved to New York City, didn't know anyone, didn't know what I was doing and kind of landed myself a job in PR, which by the way, I have a degree from the University of Texas in management information systems. So no correlation except for the fact that I was really good at taking hard, complex IT requirements and translating them 
to a business requirement and vice versa. And I realized that like communications and really challenging communications was kind of my jam. <laughs> so went into PR and while all my 21, 22 year old colleagues, they wanted to be trying to get on the Today Show. They wanted to work with the Backstreet Boys, which is super exciting. But again, it just really wasn't my thing. And so I kept raising my hand for the things that were hard, right? So I did a restructuring at like 22 years old, coming in and really taking a look at a company that was a manufacturing company that was going full, like for a full restructuring and turnaround. I raised my hands for these crazy executive compensation crises. I raised my hands for crises of like that hint consumers, right? Consumer impacts crises. And I just kept raising my hands for the hard things, the ones that nobody really wanted to do. And, you know, while I took advantage of getting some of that, the merch from uh, the Backstreet Boys tours, I never really felt like the desire or the need to go down that route. I really wanted to differentiate myself early on, I think. Your career has been obviously quite impactful and you've been able to have impact in lots of different areas and, and industries, it sounds like as well. I'm curious, who or what has been your greatest inspiration or influence in your journey? Well, I mean, I think the the starting point for that, as most people probably answer, is their parents, right? And I And I feel really blessed to have inherited my you know, my father's data-driven, my, my dad was a CFO and a controller. And so I inherited his like data-driven approach. My mom is extremely extroverted graphic designer and I inherited and very philanthropic. And so I kind of inherited like the focus on philanthropy, the ability to be creative from her. And so I ended up getting like the mix of both, which was really quite interesting growing up. So outside of that, like inspiration, I think that just comes from who you are and who you were raised by. I've also had a lot of really amazing mentors throughout my career and some, you know, I've been able to work, you know, as a consultant and, you know, as a um, crisis communications consultant, as well as a management consultant, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with some pretty impactful leaders. There's one person that's really made a big difference in my personal career, which is a, a CMO by the name of Michael Gale. He's the CMO at Wind River currently. And we've worked together since 2013. And, you know, over the course of that mentorship, he's really like helped me recognize my own strengths and how to leverage that for, for growth and for good in the world. He supported me throughout my whole career through changes and introspection and progression and really helped me like uncover kind of my secret sauce. So, you know, I'll just do a little plug because Michael does host the uh, the Forbes Future to Focus podcast as well. And he's an expert on digital transformation and innovation. And so I highly recommend if anybody wants a little bit of Michael in their life, they can get that just by uh, listening to that podcast. Yeah, that's fantastic. We'll have to link that in the show notes. And, you know, it's interesting. I've done, oh gosh, I don't know how many of these interviews now over 20 for sure. And there's only a few people that talk about their parents, which, really? you know, it's, <laughs> I know, I know. I remember like two distinct conversations where parents are called out. But other than that, it's usually like the mentors and the, and the sponsors and the people in their lives, their daughters and sons and things like that. 
But I'm on that same vein where it's your first layer of inspiration and influence. So I'm glad to hear you say that. So as I was prepping and poking around your bio and whatnot, I learned that you are a marathon runner, something that, gosh, I could not do. (laughs) I love exercise, but in a very different way. This also, I think, speaks to thriving in that kind of environment because I feel like marathons are like that too. And when you are a runner, you do get this runner's high. Physiologically, I feel like it prepares you for high stakes situations. I really do. But I'm curious just because marathon training in itself is wow, like what a lot to bite off and any kind of underpinning of what's required for that endurance. How has that translated into your leadership style, especially, you know, during periods of going through that organizational change or where you're going through that professional growth? Yeah, there's a couple places where I really see it. First of all, I have to caveat I haven't run a marathon since 2019 pre-COVID. So I don't know if I'm allowed, I just do halves now, but I don't know if I'm allowed to call myself a marathoner, but I have done 14. So I still think of myself as a long distance runner, even though I haven't really, I haven't really done that since, um, since COVID hit, but I did have the, I got to do Paris in April of 2019, which was pretty, pretty amazing for my final, my final marathon before my little break here, but I will be coming back. I promise. But there's a couple of things that I see. I mean, obviously, grit and tenacity are a big piece of long distance running because especially living in Texas, to be able to train for those fall marathons and get out there on a, you know, what's going to be 105 degree with 80% humidity day, like just takes a a different mindset and a commitment to, to achieving. But what I've also found is that when I just was running, like I wasn't that good of a runner. And it wasn't until I really became more of like an M-shaped athlete where, you know, it wasn't just all about the running, but it was also the strength and it was also being willing to get out on the track and do the speed work and put in the, you know, the core work and everything else that it takes to, to get to being a good long distance runner. Like that's when I started to have my PRs. And so thinking also through that, sometimes that singular focus doesn't necessarily help you be the best at something. And really having those complementary places where I'm focused on the corresponding and the adjacent elements that make me a better runner. And so training for that first fast 5K was more challenging in a lot of ways than than running 26 miles. And making the time and dedication for strength and core work is sometimes more challenging than it is just to get out on the trail in the morning. But I, I also have the pleasure, I've had two amazing running coaches that I've been running with as an adult. One of my running coaches is somebody by the name of Gilbert Tuabone, and his story is incredible. He has a book, you can go read it. He also was featured in People Magazine a couple of years ago because he did train Jenna Bush back when she was in college at UT. He survived genocide in Burundi. And so his story about giving back and gratitude and really forgiveness in a lot of ways is something that he teaches all of us as part of, of his you know running mindset. But he also talks about this idea of focus, F-O-C-U-S, right? This acronym. And it's really like when you're about to hit that wall, forget the past, don't focus on the past. You focus, but you forget the past. You outwork your opponent. You commit to finish. You utilize your gift. You seize the moment. 
And so, you know, that mantra has really become a mantra for life and also for marathons and just being able to, to run with somebody who has gone through the, the adversity that Gilbert has gone through and, and come through with this gratitude and this zest for life has just really been, you know, a tremendous opportunity for me to like learn and grow. And even this morning, I got to run into him on the trail this morning and bump fists and talk for a few minutes and just remember like why we do all of this. Having those moments of inspiration have really helped me. I like taking what I can from the experience of running, but also thinking about the bigger picture and how, you know, that grit and tenacity and, and focus really helps me be a better human, not just a better athlete. What an amazing opportunity with that story and, and training with Gilbert and those lessons that he gifted. And I, I love that he focuses on forgiveness and gratitude. And I mean, I think in all areas of our lives, that is so important. And I think it's funny, like when I talk to a lot of the folks that I'm coaching and I ask them about forgiveness, they instantly go to other people instead of thinking of what do you need to forgive yourself for? We don't go through that process nearly enough. So that's fantastic that you're getting that from really kind of an unexpected area of your life. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned something that I wanted to ask about. So you mentioned an M-shape runner, I think, or marathon runner. And so like we hear T-shaped all the time in our industry, especially in marketing, right? Like be a T-shaped marketer where you have that breadth, but then you also have that depth in, in a particular area. What is that contrast when you talk about an M-shaped? What does that mean? And how would you compare that to, in business speak, being like a T-shaped? Yeah, absolutely. So M-shaped, I like to think of as having more than one focus point, right? You're still broad, but you really can go, you can go deep in two areas, which is like the two places, like that M, the, the uppercase M, where, you know, you have two specialties. And I really view that for me as strength and endurance when it comes to running. But I like to think of that also with myself as like, I want to be able to, you know, to have an M-shaped approach to my career as well, right? Which I think being a generalist and having the experiences that I've had across the board, like make for interesting stories and make for interesting experiences, but it's really having the depth in a couple of areas that allows for me to, to really be strong and be a transformational leader. I think that is such a, maybe a little bit more of a powerful framework for those thinking about, well, okay, I don't want to be a full generalist, but I want to still keep that spectrum of knowledge really wide, but instead of one area, it's two or three areas, which I think positions you really, really well in a lot of roles that you step into. I'm curious if we can dive into thinking about transformative leadership, authentic organizational culture through change, which you've done a lot of, clearly. So thinking about all of the like cultural shifts at Zayo through these acquisitions, how have you incorporated authenticity into these transformations and what challenges come out of that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, the number one key, I believe, to, to being authentic and to be able to lead, lead a large group of people through a pretty significant change and, and challenge, right, is to be curious always be curious, ask lots of questions. 
and like really like really want to understand the answers, right? Because I think someone like me, for example, who, you know, my skills are kind of in the marketing framework, but they're also in, you know, the um, the change management or transformation framework. I've been in B2B and like technology for a long time, but not specific like deep industry knowledge, right? I haven't spent 30 years building cloud software. I haven't spent 15 years in, in telecom. So being able to like really listen and learn from the, the folks who are the industry experts allows for me to really bring forward a point of view that reflects their insights. And so I think having that curiosity, asking questions and being like really genuinely interested in how those things come together is really important. And it's also important to remember that transformation starts and it ends with the customer. So we constantly have to be asking, like, how does the business change that we're driving through this transformation really benefit our customers? And that's how we stay authentic, right? Because if we put our, the customer at the center of all that we do, it becomes you know, less about Zayo or company X being the hero of this journey. And instead, it puts the customer into the shoes of the hero of that story. And that really helps us as a brand and as a company more authentically bring the customer, bring our employees along on that transformation journey. And so then that like being curious and asking questions, putting the customer at the center of it, like that allows for us to do what we have to do as leaders to bring along everyone else, which is articulate the why, right? Like by being very curious and thinking through what the customer impacts are along the way, being able to put those pieces together in our head and be able to tell that story, we can then bring along the rest of the employees. If you don't fully articulate the why behind the what, you will lose people quickly. So having the ambition and the North Star, having those guardrails really clearly articulated and the why behind that. Why is this the ambition? Why are these the guardrails? enables people to come along with you, but it also enables them, like I only want 20% of the decisions to come to me. I want 80% of those decisions to be able to be made by my direct reports and their direct reports because they have that framework. And they can only do that if they understand the why. And so by being you know, able to tell that story, we can be authentic to ourselves as leaders, to ourselves as a company in the market. But it takes work, right? It takes work to to be a listening and growth mindset leadership team, right? It takes effort to be curious and authentically curious. And it takes a lot of work to be able to, to continue to share that story of the why behind the what. But that's how you bring people along. And that's how you get people to buy into that ambition or that North Star. How do you zoom in and out when it comes to like, that organizational picture and moving the business along versus the individuals, arming the individuals, empowering them. You know, I think what you said makes a lot of sense of defining that why and getting them to see the why behind the what. But when it comes to like working one-on-one -on -one with individual leaders, how do you help them manage that fear of change? I mean, it, it's real, right? And, and I think that fear of change is inherent in a lot of us. And it just takes, I mean, by really focusing on bringing together, having like adopting a first team mentality, 
first of all, right? So my peers are my first team. My direct reports first team is, you know, the, the leadership team in marketing and, and helping them understand the value of having that first team approach, being able to trust and depend on their peers and then just carving out the time, right? It does, it takes time. I want my leadership team to be able to coach and develop and, and bring along their own teams. And that means that I am, you know, I'm sharing that why behind the, the what, but I'm also spending time individually with my leaders to understand their resistance. Um, how do I help bring them along and then empower them and arm them to drive that same change management to their organizations below them. And so it's just at the end of the day, and this is hard because especially in a transformation or turnaround situation, like time is of the essence, right? You've got a certain amount of time to get through that J curve and get back to acceleration. You've got a lot of competing priorities. You have to stay relentlessly focused. You have a lot of competing priorities for your time, but being able to carve out those regular one-on-ones and to have like truly authentic, honest conversations where your leadership team feels like they can bring you the good, the bad, the ugly, and you have that transparent line of communication open. And then also just empowering them as a first team. Like they need to be able to depend and trust each other, not just view me as, as that escalation path. And so both of those are, are really critical to helping them thrive. Mm, yeah. And what are some of the challenges that like, I mean, maybe even thinking back to a time where it went the wrong way, you know, it didn't go away that you wanted it to. What does that look like and how do you emerge from that? Yeah, I mean, the reality is, is that you've got to to be honest with where the challenges are and how do, how do you as a leadership team make the hard decisions, but keeping a sense of optimism, right? I, I really believe like that the the key to transformational leadership is like fierce optimism. And and that's not optimism in the sense that like, you know, everything is rosy, right? But optimism in the sense that the future is bright and we have a path in place to make that future bright. We know we are agile enough to be able to flex our organization, to flex our priorities in order to make the most out of the situation as we know it, whether that's market issues that we weren't anticipating or internal challenges that we weren't really expecting. And so building that agile framework, and I I use the word agile with like a lowercase a, not an uppercase, (laughs) right? Because how can you learn from the past and move forward quickly? And that takes the leaders to build that, that mindset, right? The mindset of optimism that the future is bright, but the pragmatism of what it takes to get there. So it's not wearing rose-colored glasses. It's being honest and and being able to flex and and have some agility to to work towards those goals, even when when times are hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing just lessons emerging from this, or things to kind of center around the, the honesty, uh, having that agile framework, optimism, aligning with the why. All great things, I think, for leaders who are thinking about, oh man, I have to go through this organizational change. What do I need to embody in order to do that? I will say, I mean, the the one thing that I do find, you know, that I truly believe and that I also try to to embed into to my leaders is that change is an opportunity. 
It is an opportunity for you to take on more. It's an opportunity for you to learn something that you've never been able to learn before. It's an opportunity for you to raise your hand and offer to do hard things. And so for the people that embrace change and don't resist it, like you see monster career progression in a short period of time. And so I really like, I try to encourage my leaders and my team to be thinking about that. What are the opportunities? This is hard. Like let's, I mean, let's just, let's call a spade a spade. This is difficult, but what is the benefit for you in this change? Where can you find the opportunity? What can you learn? What can you do differently? What can you raise your hand for that you might not have been able to if everything was going great? People who are able to embrace that will find that change is a like catalyst for growth more than yeah. being in a pretty like, you know, standard environment, like whether that's standard growth or maintenance mode. Yeah, I know change is such an interesting concept, like both individually and organizationally. And I always think about when you're thinking about change, because most people are scared of change, but is it that fear that is preventing you from moving forward? Or is there like an actual block? Is there an actual block that you can't push past? And so trying to like distinguish between why does change bother me so much? And is it a fear that I have to work through? Is it a fear because I have all of these attachments that I'm so used to and comfortable with that I need to let go of in order to embrace change? You get to a certain point in your life and, and change is constant, like whether it's bringing together new families or children growing up or, you know, change in eras in terms of parent. I mean, everybody goes through change in their personal life. And so I think, you know, ultimately at least how I want to live my life, right, is is with that optimistic point of view. And I don't know. I mean, again, I keep like showing my age with these references to things that like the Backstreet Boys or what have you. But I mean, Michael J. Fox, I don't know if you've watched the new documentary still, I think oh, it's called. Right. But I mean, this was, you know, somebody who was my idol, right? My I think my first crush ever was Alex P. Keaton at <laughs> <And> Family Ties. <laughs> and see like what he's gone through in his personal life and the amount of gratitude and the amount of optimism that he has. I mean, the documentary is just, I mean, it's amazing. It's eye-opening and it's, you know, it fills me with gratitude that we have someone out there who's willing to tell the hard stories, but also willing to, to look forward and see the, um, that the future is bright and there is more out there uh, and what his impact in the world can be. And so I, you know, I look to people like that or to Gilbert, right? And I think to myself, like, that's, I can deal with challenging things in my personal life. And and there are moments like, and we're all allowed to have those moments of frustration and tears and anger and like what happened, like we can't, like we should be expressing that emotion. But I think, you know, at least for me, like I want to be, I look at people like that and and it helps me put things into perspective and to think about like that's the kind of leader, that's the kind of person that I want to be from an optimism and and just kind of gratitude standpoint. So mm -hmm. I think it's constant effort, right? And it's letting ourselves feel the things that we feel, but also being able to like in some ways compartmentalize that and like look beyond it. Yeah, I mean, thinking about these two stories, right, Gilbert and Michael J. Fox, and there's so many 
individuals that that have faced adversity and have come out on the other side and it turns into this inspired action and we all do that in big and little ways and I think looking at what are the ways where I've transformed and taken something that was really challenging and turned it into inspired action I think is always a great way for us to kind of go through that mindset shift how have I done that in my life even if it's in a small way and I also think what's amazing about stories like Gilbert stories like Michael J Fox and again there's so many incredible individuals where they've they've gone through major major challenges in their lives and and then they've found opportunities outside of that I just think that the ability to move through the process of feeling like this happened to me i'm a victim in this to zooming out and being able to move from that storytelling of i'm the victim versus i am resilient and i have gone through all of this and now here's what i'm looking forward to doing with the strength and all of the lessons learned i think is incredible and what's the opportunity that's presented you know, in those challenges and in those, those, the changes and how can you both make a huge impact in those moments of opportunity with the people that you work with, the customers that you work with, et cetera. And also like there is a personal element of it. Like how are you capitalizing on that? How are you taking advantage to move your career forward or, you know, kind of do something that you might not have done if things were going smoothly or the trajectory was different. And I think so many times like, people face change, you know, not as an opportunity and not with a solution oriented mindset. We all have to figure out how to be resilient, how to continue to learn and grow, how to get our work done without having somebody telling us where to be and what to do. And it's really just understanding that change is opportunity. Well, as we wind down, I'm curious, and you've given a lot of lessons and, and some things to consider, any other key lessons from your leadership journey that you would like to highlight for others? I mean, I think, you know, the biggest thing that I'm, I'm kind of focused on now is that, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a pushback right now that's happening from a DEIB standpoint. That's a place that's really personally important to me and something that I've spent a lot of my career really focused on in terms of bringing more women, more women of color to the table and expanding the table, right? It doesn't have to be just one of us or just two of us. Like there is room at the table for those more diverse voices, those more diverse experiences. And as we see a little bit of this pushback around DEIB right now, my advice to folks is really to be the change that you want to see in the world, right? And we have to stop talking about it in a lot of ways and we have to demonstrate it we have to lead by example and we just have to do it right we shouldn't have to sit here and continue to bang the drum of the the business value that diversity and diverse experiences and diverse points of view bring to the business like we all know that like we have seen it in action we have seen how brainstorming and collaboration work when people around the table are not just like you so why do we have to continue to sit here and try to defend the, um, you know, the outcome and the benefits of something that we all know is inherently the right thing? So I think, you know, ultimately, I just keep thinking in my head right now, like as I see that, a little bit of that pushback is like find leaders that think like you, bring everyone, like in terms of like 
the value of diversity of thinking, right? And diversity of experience and bring, you know, come together and just do it. Stop talking about it. So I think that's my, one of the things that continues to be on my mind right now. I couldn't agree with you more. Well said. And thinking about any resources or exercises, experiences, everybody always wants to like jump to give like a book or a podcast recommendation, but I just think there's so many things that we can do to improve our leadership journey and our personal development. Is there anything in particular that you would recommend for leaders out there? Yeah, absolutely. The first thing I would say is get out from behind the computer. I think technology in a lot of ways is holding us back from real creativity and innovation. So I would definitely say get out from behind the computer, take a walk, break bread with the people that you work with have time to really get to know people versus depending on Zoom, make an effort. Um, hybrid is the way in the future, I believe, being able to like have that flexibility to have asynchronous work. But what that doesn't mean is that we should not take those interpersonal experiences and replace them with Zoom. And so how do we find that balance and find those ways to get our brains out of the, uh, the technology mindset and how do we really start to build those relationships? So I think that's been, you know, a big piece of how I've focused the last couple of years, thinking about how do I spend time with people and learn from them in in a more interpersonal way has been a really big part of like my continued evolving in the last few years and what I keep recommending to people, especially people who are early in their career. Spending time with your mentors and your sponsors and spending time with your peers and seeing people in action is really important. Getting outside and going for a walk and getting your brain in a different place can really help with that creativity and the innovation. And, and a lot of times, like you end up seeing something that was there all along, but maybe you were like always multitasking and it was always the computer, the phone, the iPad, et cetera, that you couldn't really have that moment of clarity. So I think that's the biggest thing that I, you know, have really been advising folks lately is like get outside of that comfort zone and break bread and spend time and collaborate, get the whiteboard. Like, I mean, we miss those whiteboard moments. So find a way to be asynchronous and find a way to have a hybrid life, but also don't forget about the importance of those relationships and that, that collaboration. Great, great, great advice. And for those that are loyal listeners or followers, I dig into a lot of the neuroscience-backed evidence around why it's so important to get outside and thinking about how that impacts our brainwaves and our creativity and our problem solving. So I 100% support that message and that notion. And yeah, everything that you've brought today to this conversation has been wonderful great advice and and wonderful stories and i appreciate you sharing and being on with us today so thank you so much kim yes thank you for having me this was fun thanks for tuning in to this week's episode i hope you walk away with something empowering that you can take into your own leadership journey are you a high performing executive looking to take your career to the next level or maybe you're an emerging leader who wants to develop the skills you need to advance in your role and show up authentically. Or maybe you're experiencing burnout and struggling to find a better work-life balance. Whatever your situation is, 
one-on-one coaching can help you achieve your personal and professional goals. If you're interested in experiencing the power of coaching for yourself, head on over to hypehousecoaching.com backslash start coaching now, where you can set up a one-on-one leadership and executive coaching intro session for free. Remember, the only hype that really matters is the hype within.